0: What are some typical misconceptions people have about your profession?
1: I'd say about veterinarians in general, I think that people have the misconception that we charge too much money and we make a lot of money.
0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Mark. Hi, everybody. Welcome. So in today's episode, we're going to talk with someone who loves horses. And if you love horses or like them or are interested in the life of taking care of horses, then this episode and maybe this career may be of interest to you. So today we're going to talk with a horse veterinarian, or a equine veterinarian, and we're going to talk with Stacy Cordovano. She is a horse veterinarian in Pennsylvania. This episode, she really highlights that it's not all peaches and strawberries. <laughs> she definitely gives us a very honest perspective of the ups and downs of being a horse veterinarian. And it's actually very intriguing and interesting, and I definitely learned a bit about this career seeing how I'm not even taking care of pets or uh, in veterinary medicine or let alone horses. So this was very intriguing and interesting to me. And of course, she also has a very informative website and a podcast geared for equine veterinarians and veterinarians in general. So we can talk. we're going to talk about that towards the end of the episode. Before we jump into this episode, please, if you are enjoying these episodes or you like the podcast, smash that like button, hit subscribe leave a five-star review, or even a, a nice comment would be appreciated. It will h- really help bring attention to other people looking for this resource and help them along in their quest to learn learn more about uh, health careers and maybe find a, one that might be right for them. So really appreciate your help and your support. But let's dive into this episode. Welcome, Stacy.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you.
0: (laughs) Nice to meet you as well. So, Stacey, can you please just give us a quick bio about yourself?
1: Sure. My name is Stacey Cordovano. I live in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. I'm an equine veterinarian. I have my own practice. I went to Penn State for undergraduate and Virginia, Maryland, Regional College of Vet Med for vet school. And then I did a two-year internship after that with a practice in New Jersey. The first year was general internship, and the second mm-hmm. year was focused on sports medicine. And then in 2010 is when I opened my practice, Clay Creek Equine, and I've been a solo equine practitioner up until this year when I hired my first associate. And I'm hey. also a mom to two little boys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <So> that's me. <laughs> awesome. A little bit, what, is, what exactly do you do to help your patients?
1: So my patients are all horses, and I basically provide full-service care for them through their owners. The only thing I don't do in my practice is reproductive work, which is certainly a huge part of some equine veterinarian's life, but I don't do any of that. So I don't get to see cute little baby foals, but Mm. I do basically the rest. So emergency medicine, preventative health care like vaccines— And then, like I mentioned, I do focus on sports medicine, and I also provide chiropractic services for horses.
0: Oh, interesting. Let's talk about that later on, if you don't mind. Sure. That's awesome. Um, What are the usual steps to achieve your professional degree? What do people have to usually do?
1: Sure. So to become a veterinarian, you have to go to a four-year undergraduate degree. And during that time, you need to get a fair amount of experience at animal clinics, research, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then you would apply to vet school. You have to take GREs and have pretty good grades to get in. And then vet school is four years after you finish your bachelor's. And then you can decide to specialize if you'd like to, but once you finish the four years of veterinary school, you are qualified to be a veterinarian.
0: By the way, Do you recommend a special uh, or any particular type of degree to get during college?
1: It can be varied. I certainly Mm -hmm. had friends that came from non-traditional backgrounds, but I would say that the most common undergraduate degree would be something like animal science or veterinary science. So at Penn State, they have a veterinary science program. They also have an animal science program, but that's a little bit more focused on agriculture and people going into animal production. So... If you are at a school with a fairly large college of agriculture, there's likelihood that there's some sort of pre-veterinary track.
0: Good to know. What is the best part of your career?
1: Oh, I get to help my favorite animal, which is horses. (laughs) I I especially like helping them in sort of emergency crisis situations because you make a big difference in both their life and Mm. their owner's lives.
0: Got it. What's the least favorite part of the career?
1: Probably my least favorite part is when I know we should do something and either time or finances don't allow for it.
0: And what are three highlights of your professional or your career that people should know?
1: That's a really cool question. I think specifically for horse vets, one highlight is that you get a lot of alone time in your car because we generally drive from farm to farm. And I am actually an introvert so the downtime in my car is pretty necessary for me whether it's digesting or you know listening to music or a podcast I'm a big big podcast junkie so that time is important for me as opposed to a small animal clinic where they're just bringing patients in one after another and right, you never right. really get any downtime it also affects your how much money you can make in a day, but that's a whole other topic. Um, (laughs) Another highlight for equine veterinarians is that we see our patients so often throughout the year that we get to form really close bonds with them and their owners. Mm -hmm. I think that's really special about equine medicine. And then I also think that the flexibility in our careers, since we are in charge of our day and we're going from farm to farm, I think that is unique about equine medicine that we can make our days and our weeks pretty flexible to our needs.
0: Got it. Well, I think that's that's a great overall summary about being a equine veterinarian. So thanks for sharing that. Sure. Let's. I do have some questions that I want to dive into. What is your typical day like? I didn't know that you traveled so much. So what is your typical day like as an equine veterinarian?
1: Well, on the one hand, the nice thing about my day is that it's never typical. It's always different. Mm-hmm. But... Ideally, I start my day with a little bit of time in the office to get back to people, go over blood work results, schedule anything that needs to be scheduled. And then I spend the day on the road. So I go from farm to farm. And my day could include things like a horse that's not performing well to one that's not able to walk because he stepped on a nail to a vaccine appointment you know where we're just doing a general overall health check to um, a dental procedure. So it is across the board different, and that is a huge part of why I love my job. It, you are never doing the same thing every day. And then at the end of the day, it's always nice to have time to wrap up, place any ordering supplies that you need to do, return any other callbacks that have come in throughout the mm-hmm. day, and, um, you know, my situation's a little bit different since I am a small practice, there's no front desk staff. So I do a lot of the administrative work myself, but it also keeps me close to my clients since I'm the one calling them back for pretty much everything.
0: <laughs> what time does your day start usually? When do you start usually getting that car? And when do you usually start heading back home?
1: I would say that I'm a little atypical in this respect. I'm the primary caretaker for my children, caretaker is not the right word, we do have help with caretaking, but as far as getting them ready for school and things like that, I am the primary person responsible for that. So I have shifted my day to start around 9.30, which is pretty late for a typical equine vet, but that's a perfect example of how our days are flexible. Mm -hmm. And I have also shrunk my practice a little bit that I'm not working until like six or eight o'clock at night, which some equine vets do. And so I get done, you know, by 4.30 plus or minus emergencies. So there's kind of every day you have the risk of running late just because of add-ons throughout the day.
0: And during that time, so you're traveling a lot Mm -hmm. in your work. Is that typical for most equine veterinarians?
1: Yes. Some veterinary clinics have hospitals set up haul-in cases, yeah. but that is not the norm. It is maybe something that our industry is trending towards, but currently most horse owners expect you to come to them. And I try to keep my radius, my driving radius, to about a 45-minute circle around my house. When I didn't have kids, it was longer. I would go up to an hour yeah. and a half away. Yeah, um, But it becomes an issue of time and then if you have a client with an emergency like at the completely opposite side of where you are, it becomes difficult. So in a multi-doctor practice, you can kind of split up your days and, you know, cover each side of the practice. But when I was solo only, then I had to keep in mind that I had to be able to get everywhere that I could possibly need to go within, you know, a reasonable amount of time.
0: Got it. So most horses obviously are typically in a rural setting, Maybe suburban, but mostly rural. Does that mean most equine veterinarians, horse veterinarians, are also living in rural settings?
1: I would say rural to suburban. You know, Chester County is definitely not rural. And we have a very large horse population here. But there are places throughout the country, even other parts of Pennsylvania, that would be considered rural. And you can't have a 45 minute radius, you are driving a couple of hundred miles. I mean, when wow. you talk about the States out West, you know, Montana, Colorado, I mean, they have to drive a long distance to get their practice range covered. So yeah, it could be, I'm in a bit of a unique situation in that we're pretty horse-dense around where I live. So it's a little <laughs> bit different.
0: I presume you are carrying everything in your trunk. Correct. Everything. Everything. That, that mm-hmm. is your shop. Mm-hmm. I see.
1: Yep. We have x-ray, ultrasound, some lab really? equipment, emergency supplies, obviously. Yep. Everything gets shoved in there.
0: <laughs> Got it. So you are a ambulatory service mm-hmm. um, for for horses. All right. Yep. What are some typical misconceptions people have about your profession?
1: I'd say about veterinarians in general I think that people have the misconception that we charge too much money and we make a lot of money. Mm. People aren't used to paying for their own health care because of insurance. Yeah. And even though our prices are far from the prices of human health care, they do add up. And clients don't always understand the underlying costs beneath those. And, you know, our medication costs go up all the time. Vaccines go up every six months. And so when they see us raising our prices, they just think we're gouging them.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm lucky that, you know, my group of clients are very well-educated and understand why I have to raise prices. But certainly a lot of veterinarians are faced with the backlash of prices just because people, A, don't have insurance for their pets or B, you know, just don't understand how much it could possibly cost to buy a bottle of antibiotics and then all the costs that we have on top of it, like stocking and paying someone to help, you know, put it in the truck and X, Y, Z. So I think that's a big misconception. And then another one might be that euthanizing animals is a terrible part of the day. And I'm not going to say that euthanizing animals is easy yeah. but i do consider myself very lucky that i get to end suffering in certain instances and i know in human healthcare that's not the case and there are certainly times when it is much more humane to put an animal to sleep than to continue trying to save it or you know just watching it suffer so wow. um it's it's not always great but i do have I do have an aspect of my personality that appreciates that I am able to do that for my patients.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, I think uh, for people to realize that there is a the cost for for what you do and the service you provide and breaking that misconception is is challenging. Even in my profession, I can totally sure. relate to that,
1: you yeah. know. Yeah, and all the years of schooling that, that we paid for to get the knowledge that we have, sure, yeah.
0: You know, I think uh, it's, as someone mentioned to me, it's, you're getting compensated not because of what you're bringing to the table, but what you're bringing to the table from all the years of experience you mm-hmm. put in so you can help make that best decision mm-hmm. for the patient. How do you, as a working mom and you know, balance this type of life for you and, and other people in your profession? How, how is that work-life balance, as some people say? Um, how do you balance that all out?
1: Yeah, it's certainly not balanced. And work, <laughs> work-life balance is probably, in my opinion, a myth. So it's sort of a work-life integration or a work-life juggling, mm. <laughs> juggling act. I think I'm lucky that I have a dual income household so I am not the primary breadwinner and and that makes a big difference in my life so I was able to scale my practice back a bit and have more time for my children to be able to do the driving to school or do the activities with them some afternoons I also rely heavily on help and you know veterinarians in general are pretty hard workers and we're kind of used to just hustling and getting it all done. You know, that's how you make it through vet school. But having children, I've really had to learn to ask for help and realize that I'm just not going to be able to do it all. So there are some weeks that I feel like I'm really killing it at work and I've been really efficient and gotten all these things done. And those might be the weeks that I have Not see my kids as much. And then vice versa, there might be a week that I forgot a few things at work, but I had a great time with my kids every afternoon. And I think the biggest part that I've been working on is self compassion for working moms or working parents or anyone juggling things. I think is self compassion because there's going to be days that you do great and there's going to be other days that you don't feel so great about it, but you just know that you're trying your best. And Giving yourself a little bit of grace has yeah. been giving myself has been a huge game game changer rather than just being hard on myself and yeah. beating myself up about you know whether it was balanced or not balanced.
0: Giving yourself a break. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> we should give ourselves a little slack. A little slack. We're, we're exactly. working hard, especially this past year.
0: <laughs> uh, Stacy, just just changing the the topic a little bit. Your overall profession. What's the outlook like? Uh, you know, is. Does the future look pretty good for, you know, equine veterinary medicine?
1: It's interesting that you asked me that right now. I, you know, I have started digging a little bit into well-being for veterinarians Mm -hmm. as a side project for myself and especially equine veterinarians because that's what I am. And... If you look at the research statistics, the future doesn't look great for equine veterinarians. So currently, only 2% of people graduating from vet school go into equine medicine. So that's not a large number. And then the studies show that within five years, about half of those people leave to go to either small animal medicine or something else. So those numbers don't look great for a large surplus of equine vets. And certainly everyone right now is trying to hire more equine vets where all, all the practices across the country are strapped for help. Mm. So I think if we don't make some changes to the culture of equine medicine and the way we take care of ourselves and the way we set boundaries, I don't think it's going to go well. But that being said, I love being an equine vet and I think there are so many ways to be an equine vet that if we start prioritizing our well-being outside of work, I think that we can definitely make a positive change in our industry.
0: I see. So there seems to be a lot of burnout for people for that it. enter the industry mm-hmm. and maybe some limited resources to help to s- sustain the that drive to be in that career.
1: Yeah. It's a little bit like equine medicine's always been like this. Kind of have to do it this way. You work mm-hmm. 80 hours, you're on call all the time, and people don't really want to do that anymore, especially when there are higher paying small animal jobs that don't require you to be on call. But that being said, for those of us who absolutely love working on horses, yeah. we are making it work and especially the younger generation, we are doing think we are doing things differently and I think that that has to be the way of the future for it to be sustainable.
0: All right. Well, listen, we're going to talk about that a little bit about that at the end, about how you're kind of helping your fellow colleagues out. So, but before we do that, what type of students you think best fit in this profession?
1: I think anybody that is hardworking and willing to be compassionate is able to be a veterinarian. You know, it's it does take a lot of learning, and Mm -hmm. you do have to have good grades to get in. But that being said, the best veterinarians that I know didn't have the highest grades. They're the ones that can relate to people and talk to the clients. Because as much as we get into this because we love animals, you have to deal with owners, right? So you have Mm -hmm. to be able to relate to people and deal with them. and. So, yeah, I think if you're willing to work hard and if you can handle the blood and guts, then <laughs> you should probably figure that out before you go to vet school. But if you can handle that, then, um, you know, anyone can do this.
0: Stacy, let's change gears a little bit here. Let's talk about you. How did you even consider veterinary medicine? Was it something that you wanted to do when you were a kid?
1: For sure. Yeah, my mom says it was when I was three. I said I was going to be an equine oh, vet. Boy. We're going back my, to
0: single digits here. Yeah. Holy cow! My All right.
1: cousin was an equine vet, so I did. Oh, see really? that In my family. Mm-hmm. And I rode horses. That's probably ever.
0: not common.
1: You probably not. No. Um, I rode horses ever since I was little, okay. and so it's it. There's never been any other option for me. Um, but what I did was I started working in small animal clinics in high school and mm-hmm. getting experience, and then. I made sure to choose a big agricultural school, Penn State. You know, it was six hours away, but I chose that one because they had a great pre-vet program, and Mm -hmm. I knew they got lots of people into vet school, so they had experience with that. And then when I was in undergrad, I continued to work at a small animal clinic. I did three or four different research projects in the dairy science lab because that's who had an opening. Hmm. And honestly, that research really did help my resume when I was applying because I did not have a 4.0. I had good grades, but as an out-of-state student, they were on the low end of things. But they looked at my kind of overall resume and, you know, I had decent GREs. So I have been gunning for this (laughs) for my whole life. But... um, that yeah, that's how I got here, and I got into Virginia, Maryland, you know, by the skin of my teeth, but worked out okay.
0: <laughs> as they say, you know, what the person that graduate—I'm not to say you were last, but the, the person that graduates last in medical school, what they call him, doctor, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um. So when you even so you as a kid, you even actually want to be uh, not just a veterinarian, you want to be an um, equine veterinarian, even mm-hmm. when you were in high school.
1: I wanted to work outside. Yeah, I didn't want to be locked inside all the time. So
0: got it. Yeah. and you were thinking about any other kind of careers once you got into veterinary school, or not really?
1: Nope.
0: <laughs> wow. So you were very you were focused very early on in what you wanted to do. Got it. Yeah,
1: and some veterinary schools do what we call tracking. It's a bit like picking a major, and some don't. So Virginia, Maryland did allow me to track equine medicine. So when you pick your electives, you, you pick all the horse ones, and you're not required to do quite as many small animal medicine um, electives as other people. Not every vet school does that. So that is something to consider when you're applying to vet school. If you really know you want to do one thing, um, some allow you to do that. I wouldn't say that's the only reason to pick a vet school because you're going to get a good education no matter what vet school you go to. But um, mine did allow me to track that, and yeah. so I'm not even sure I'd be very qualified to <laughs> be any other kind of veterinarian.
0: <laughs> Reflecting back, Stacey, is there anything you would have done differently?
1: I would have started prioritizing my well-being in vet school because I do feel like oh. some of the, not some, a lot of the bad habits that I had early on in my career started in vet school. And that was, you know, skipping, exercising to get yeah. a few more minutes of studying, not caring about my nutrition, not caring about my sleep. And that just snowballs and then becomes the norm when you're a new graduate and you, especially for me, I was hustling to build a business and I would just say yes to everything and I probably also would have taken a few more business classes in undergrad. I didn't take any and um you know who knew that I was going to be a business owner 3 years out of vet school. I didn't predict that. So
0: It's interesting, you know, in med when we're in school we study really hard, but uh and we work really a lot of hours, but you also work really hard especially when you enter the business of of medicine mm-hmm. and stuff they don't teach you a lot and so you Not just <laughs> you just try to scramble and learn as much as you can and put in hours on the weekends or late into the night. So you can understand this aspect of your career that you don't really learn about, which is the business of medicine. And a lot of people don't understand that as well. um, That, um, that aspect. So, uh, and you also, as a business owner too, you had to learn that much more quickly than maybe other veterinarians who work for other people.
1: Right. Because you went
0: straight to solo, I presume, right?
1: Yeah. After my, I did a full internship and then I did a sports medicine internship and it was around the crisis of 2008 and mm-hmm. so not many people were hiring and you know my I had gotten married and we lived in a specific area and so it was sort of I guess I better open my own practice which mm-hmm. turned out to be the best thing ever but yes there was a huge learning curve associated with that I sort of always assumed I would become an owner one day, but more of a buy-in situation, which is common in group practices, but that wasn't how it worked out for me. And I'm thankful for that now, but yes, there was a huge learning curve (laughs) and lots of late nights figuring out how to use QuickBooks and like what a profit and loss statement meant.
0: (laughs) A lot of uncertainty, especially early on when you got your Mm -hmm. degree. Yeah. Mm I like to go to a a little bit more lighthearted and fun part, which is my rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you prepared? You ready? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I'm ready. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is your most favorite time of the day?
1: Early morning because it's quiet and I get a little time to myself.
0: Nice. What do you usually eat for breakfast?
1: I usually eat yogurt with a little bit of maple syrup on it.
0: All right. Favorite type of music to listen to?
1: Oh, I love all music. I can't pick one. I'm a big country and alternative rock fan.
0: All right. Uh, What would be um, an ideal and well-deserved vacation look like for you? I presume you haven't taken one in a while.
1: We do try to take family ones, but a purely relaxing vacation for me would be a beach with Lots of child care so that I got some time to actually lay out on the beach myself and maybe get a massage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's probably very appropriate. Um, Besides horses, what is the next best animal you'd like to treat and take care of?
1: I don't really do any other than I do a little bit of chiropractic for dogs, so I'll pick dogs.
0: All right. Um, What comes easily for you that is more difficult for other people?
1: Hmm. I am pretty good at reading situations, like whether it's the room or how a situation's going to play out. I have a pretty good ability to step back and see the big picture.
0: Very nice. Like in a social setting, is what you mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. My dad used to always say that I was good at reading the basketball court when I was playing basketball in high school. So, yeah, sort of playing off of that, I think. <laughs> okay.
0: And finally, if you could start your career over again, what would you do differently, if any?
1: I probably wouldn't do it differently. You know, there's been some ups and downs and good parts and bad parts, but it certainly brought me to where I am and I can only be grateful for where I'm at currently.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Stacy, that's, that's it for my rapid fire questions. Hopefully it wasn't too difficult. No, a little bit thought provoking. Those were fun. Yeah. I like (laughs) that. Hey, Stacy, so where can listeners go to reach you and learn more about you?
1: So there's a couple of places. My, Practice has a website, claycreekequine.com, and we also have an Instagram account where we do some educational posts on horses and things like that. And then I also, my side project is called The Whole Veterinarian. I'm working to try to help well-being for other veterinarians, and it would also be pretty helpful to pre-vet students or veterinary students thinking about getting into it. So that is at thewholeveterinarian.com or at thewholeveterinarian on Instagram.
0: Got it. And you also have a separate website um, separate from the podcast or?
1: The podcast, uh, (laughs) true, I should mention that I also have a podcast, which is also called The Whole Veterinarian. But no, the podcast and the whole veterinarian resources are all on thewholeveterinarian.com.
0: And they can get a hold of you through that Yeah, there's a contact,
1: there's links to my email, they can DM me on Instagram. I'm most definitely most active on Instagram as far as the social media platforms.
0: And you only have one website, or do you have two different websites, like one for your business and one for the podcast?
1: Yeah, one for the business is claycreekequine.com and one for the podcast. And that sort of like well-being work is thewholeveterinarian.com. Got
0: it. And what about your Instagram handle for your business? Is that separate from your podcast?
1: Correct. Yep, that's just Clay Creek Equine.
0: Got it. All right. All right. Um, well, listen, I I love your podcast. It's a lot of great information there for especially for veterinarians. I Thank listen you. to some of it, and I also like your Instagram too. It just, especially, I can tell for veterinarians who are kind of struggling and need some perspective that they're not the only ones going through what you're going through. That yeah. uh, it can be very helpful.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And I love your podcast too. It's great for students. I think it's a, this format is such an easy way for people to get a wide variety of information. And you are definitely providing that. So I appreciate that. Well, thanks thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.